And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Herring. Here's part two of our interview with legendary broadcaster Keith Jackson. Now, you somehow were able to stay almost in the background of a broadcast so that the viewer could enjoy the game and at the same time listen to you and come away more informed than they were beforehand. Nowadays, it's, it seems like a, bro- a lot of broadcasters are more interested in themselves than in what's going on on the playing field. Well, I have a very firm philosophy about that. In the first place, uh, the field belongs to the players and the coaches, not to some guy sitting up in the crow's nest up there uh, running his mouth and trying to make a name for himself. My philosophy was, is, and will always be when it's an event like that, a public event that is being covered by public media, you amplify, you clarify, you punctuate, and stay the hell out of the way. No, you lived with it then, and I live with it now. So there you go. No, you're exactly right. And you work with some great broadcasters, and some of them still broadcast today, like Dan Fouts and Bob Greasy and Lynn Swan. But again, I think they had some more philosophies to you. Well, all those guys worked with me. Greece uh, was with me 12 years. Bouncy was, uh, I think, seven or eight, maybe nine. And, of course, Swanee, he uh, was a good sideline guy. You know who was a wonderful sideline reporter that we had with us for a good long time and went on to, uh, and is still going, uh, career, is Tim Brent. Mm-hmm. Tim Brandt was an all-conference football player, defensive end and linebacker at Maryland. But uh, he was studying broadcasting. That was going to be his career. And uh, he, he, from the get-go, worked on it. And he had the ability to uh, capsulize a story quicker than, uh, I think, more than anybody I know that worked the sidelines. And I have another guy we talked to last week, I forgot, Frank Broyles. Well, Frank was just pure fun. I mean, he was a great football coach and uh, and was more fun than you can believe just just to hang out with. <laughs> he was he was great. And uh, Frank and I grew up about uh, forty miles from each other, West Georgia. He was in Decatur. He was city boy, and I was a farmer. We never met until. Uh, well, he was playing at Georgia Tech, and and I was off to the Marines, and uh, we finally got together, <laughs> had some great times. But there was a lot of grumbling around the Big Ten country about uh, two Southern boys working in the national football game, and it was hard for us to, to to travel that tight line and not let people know where we came from. But by then, it had sort of become fashionable to have a. Uh, a little southern lilt sometimes to a, a sports broadcast. Think back over. Uh, think back over the biggest names you can think of in the history of sports in New York City. And you have to go to baseball more than anything else because they didn't have hockey down south. But who were the now, great baseball announcers in New York City? He had a couple of Southern boys in uh, Red Barber and Mel Allen. 
That's right. And they had an influence on Vin Scully, who came out of Fordham. <laughs> but um, uh, Mel Allen uh, uh, grew up about uh, four blocks from Legion Field in Birmingham. They do things uh, better in the bigger and better in the South. Well, it was just the formation of the, of the colloquial language. They just talked differently, but and they had a they had a freedom about the way they expressed themselves, and they didn't. Bill Mundy, for for example, I stole absolutely, admit completely and clearly that I stole the line about Lord, he's on his way to Hallelujah Land. That meant touchdown in Bill's vocabulary. Uh, I mean, but you talk about turning a phrase, that's a phrase. I don't think you listen. And where do I think we- the phrase m- most people associate you with is Woe Nelly. And, and the origins of that trace back well, to your that's childhood. A, that's, um, that's an overrated and overstated thing. I, I don't know why. I guess it was just they hadn't they'd been looking for something to. Uh, whack me over the head with a hang on me, and, and that was it. But um, the uh, it, it really there was a guy out here in Glendale in the early days of television who did uh, uh, what do you call it, women's skating, and uh, and uh, the, there's some folks out in Glendale who still accuse me of stealing that that O'Nelly line from him. And I, I never met the guy, and then and it was long since. He was gone by the time I came to town, I guess. But um, he worked for the Gene Autry station here, Channel 5, in Los Angeles, which was the original television station. And um, But the, uh, the O'Nelly, as far as I'm concerned, came from my great-grandfather. Uh, Jeff Davis Robinson, which is uh, R-O-B-I-S-O-N, different spelling of it, because he was uh, Irish. And then somebody said Scott, and eventually they proved that uh, that particular group did come from Scotland. But anyway, he was a whistler, and he would sort of like that, never really outright whistling, just sort of. And uh, he, he small little farm, and he worked hard, and, and he was a great storyteller and all of that. But his the other part of his personal expression while he was fussing with things and trying to make something work was, and when it didn't go, he was oftentimes heard to say, Oh, Nelly, as, as an expression of, damn it. Because <laughs> every time he cussed, Grandma got after him. But uh, the... Um, that's where mine came from, and, and I don't care whether anybody believes it or wants to know it or anything else. <laughs> if they don't want to know it, don't ask. <laughs> Did you have a favorite sport to cover? Uh, well, I, I, I had a, a, some of the most fun of my life doing Pacific Coast League baseball. And this was back in the days when they had the big home run hitters and all that kind of stuff. I had some great players, and they would go from Los Angeles to Cincinnati, and they'd go here, there, and everywhere. And they, Bill Coe, of course, was one of the bigger names because this huge mountain of a man could almost one-handed swat one out of anybody's stadium. But uh, baseball is a game of geometry. Everything about baseball is 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 really a, a, a angle. 
It's a game of angles and, and all of that stuff. I mean, you just have all kinds of fun with it. And uh, that was the game that we played down south. We had uh, the Nashville Bears and the Atlanta Crackers and the Birmingham Barons and and uh, on and on and on. And uh, But no major league. There was no major league sports in the south until really uh, after the, the big war, second war. Yeah, the most famous cracker was Charlie Trippy. Charlie came from Pottstown, Pennsylvania. And he was recruited by the Bulldogs, and uh, and he, he his fame really began uh, um, when uh, the Georgia and I guess it was '43 was when I really got tied into the Rose Bowl. Georgia came out and played UCLA, and UCLA had Bob Waterfield and a great team, and uh, uh, Charlie Trippy was the backup tailback. And a really good one. And Frankie Sankwich was the starter, but Frankie had sprained an ankle, bad, bad sprain. And uh, Charlie Trippy was the uh, MVP in the Rose Bowl game. Georgia won the ball game nine to nothing, and uh, they, the Trippy was sent into the game to score the touchdown, and he jumped over the top and got it. And uh, and this, so they shut out UCLA, and then Trippy after that. Uh, arrival on the national vision went on to play with the uh, Chicago Cardinals where he was a triple threater. He played defense, he, he ran the ball, he threw the ball, he punted, he did everything. He was he was a great uh, great player. He was part of the original million dollar backfield with him and what Ali Matson and those guys? Well, Charlie preceded Ollie, I think, a little bit, because Ollie was... Um, a little after. Yeah. Play San Francisco. The, now, the boys out in the West are getting their, uh, hitching their britches up pretty good, though. They're going to be a pretty good conference next year, I think. How did you start calling the Rose Bowl the uh, granddaddy of them all? Because it was the oldest. It was the first one. Just another way of uh, describing, giving it its place. Did you realize when you came up with that phrase that that, that was something that's going to live on forever? Nope. I had no thought of it. Really never gave it any thought. All the years that I was out here, living out here, and we've been in the same house down in Los Angeles area for 46 years now. So uh, I never thought about calling it granddaddy. But other people did, and... And the, the fact that uh, I may or may not have, I don't know. I can't say to you that that, that was written down and, and clutched to the bosom until I felt there was a, a key time or an important time to use it. Those, those things just pop out. The spontaneity of the moment is what makes it worthwhile. But I'm not uh, a purveyor of uh, pearls. <laughs> If something, uh, if, if it's if it's something that fits the circumstance, then use it. I give you credit, though. Your last game you called was at 2006 Rose Bowl with Texas and Southern Cal, and then you decided to walk away. I did. My candle was burned. I had worked 50, what, 54 years plus four in the Marines. 
I've worked a long time. And but that was a great game. I never saw a quarterback perform like Vince Young did that day. Yeah, but he got away with a free touchdown that was illegal, and uh, I'm still burned about that. Not because of Vince Young. I, I, I just that that would have gone down truly and genuinely as one of the great great football games of all time. The individual performance plus all the rest of it, and uh, it was marred by just sloppy work by the replay crew. When Dave Perry, who was head of the National Officials Association, was sitting six feet behind me in the broadcast booth. And every year at the Rose Bowl, that's where he was. And when that play happened, uh, Vince's knee was on the ground. He pitched the ball forward. And there were th- we figured there were three fouls on the one play. And uh, and if you looked at it hard enough, you you could find a couple of holdings and make a half a dozen. But uh, why? Why were where were the replay officials not involved in this? It was blatantly clear that there were fouls, and we're sitting up there replaying it and replaying it and replay it. And finally, Dave Perry went down the hall, and by rule, he was not allowed to go into the room and converse with the replay officials, despite the fact that he was the number one. I couldn't do anything until it was over. So he comes back and he says, well, they said they were plugged into the wrong uh, uh, recorder and didn't have it. And my reaction to that was, why in the hell didn't they open the door? We played it 28 times. And I still haven't gotten an answer. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, among your broadcast partners were Dick Vitale and Bill Russell. Have there ever been two more polar opposites than those two? No. In terms of demeanor? Not to my knowledge. I, I, um, Dick was a perfect example of letting his enthusiasm uh, uh, maybe run away with him at, at times. I don't know. I'm, it's none, none of my business. But uh, he is also an example of, of how you can make yourself a career up in the booth. Bill Russell, on the other hand, in my mind, was one of the smartest people I've ever worked with or been around. And I was around him a lot because I considered him a friend all the time that, uh, that he was uh, working with us. And... Uh, a lot of things about Bill Russell that uh, that caused me to say that because when Bill finished his career and he went through that smutty thing in Boston with all of that that trouble and what have you, and uh, I was part of I needled a couple of uh, columnists in Seattle newspapers to write Sam Schulman a letter, an open letter, and say uh, the Sonics needed a coach that could move that basketball franchise because it had just become a a meaningful NBA property and hire Bill Russell. He's forgotten more basketball probably than half of the guys that are out there now. And lo and behold, the very next year he hired him. And uh, Russ, uh, I don't think, I don't know if he'd ever say it or not, but I'll say it for him, but... 
I'm not sure that he was ever all that happy being an NBA coach, despite his all of this. He couldn't understand why a professional athlete, every day that he went out there, being paid a pretty good money, why he wouldn't sell out every time he was on that court. Full effort, full effort, full effort. And uh, it used to frustrate him a little bit. And he didn't coach all that long, you remember. No, exactly. But I'm still, still very fond of him. Hello. He's a very smart man. No, you're right. I mean, the situation with Russell is, I mean, you talk to former basketball players, they said he was one of the greatest of all time because he was such a competitor and so intelligent. Well, the other thing about, that I admired about him was when he finished finished playing and all that stuff, he bought himself a motorcycle, put a sleeping bag on the back. If you can imagine this, a six-foot-nine guy coming down the road on a motorcycle. But what he was doing, he was going to all the places that he remembered from his childhood on up. The places he had never seen and wanted to see, and he just absolutely took, I think it was two years, and did it. And along the way, he started doing rap sessions with college students. Go up and sit on the edge of a table and talk to them and answer their questions. And they filled up one gymnasium after another every time he would agree to go to do one. So he had a sense and a feel about the fiber of our society, I think, uh, before a lot of people did. Is there any sport that you haven't covered that you wish you had covered? No, not really. Okay. I don't. I I, I turned down the, uh, the hockey game at uh, at Lake Placid because I, in the first place, I was never around hockey. Secondly, I certainly never played hockey. And third, I'd never been to a hockey game. <laughs> what the hell am I going to do out there trying to call a, an Olympic hockey game? Al Michaels had done hockey games, uh, when some anyway, uh, when he was working in Cincinnati doing baseball. And um, my reaction was, Al can do it. He's the only one that's really truly qualified amongst our group. And I wanted to do the Haydn story because I thought the Haydn story was going to be a big story, and turned out it was. But um, so was the hockey, <laughs> bigger. But I, I'm not sorry I didn't do Haydn. I love doing the Eric Haydn story. Eric Haydn is one of the extraordinary young people of my lifetime. I give you credit for that because if it was Howard Cosell, he would have pretended like he knew everything about hockey. He would have invented the game. That's why they got a knob on that thing. You can turn it off. How come you haven't written a book yet? Oh, I don't have anything to say. I don't know that. uh, It's come up. It comes up about every six years. (laughs) Right now, there's a, a pretty good push try to get something going here where it's not going to be a book where you're you're punishing people or or telling uh, false stories or telling stories to make somebody look bad just just tell stories that 
if you can find enough that make you laugh. Uh, and maybe there'd be one or two in the course of a book that might make you think <laughs> about the future. But um, I, I may still do it, but it's uh, probably not going to come until I'm I'm gone. It'll, somebody will open that lockbox, and my daughter will sell it to them. <laughs> It'll be post posthumously. Uh, I don't know. Probably. I don't know if I'm really willing to give up that much time. It's writing a book is hard. Yeah. And uh, especially if you're trying to say something. And I, uh, I'm not a philosopher, but I, I don't mind telling somebody why this was better than that was. I think. <laughs> well, the I other the thing people... is about legends. You know, when you get to the point where you, people say, "Well, you're you're a legend." That must mean that you can say anything you want and nobody's going to bother you. <laughs> but if you write a book, there are all kinds of worms coming out of the woodwork. You know what I miss about the sports uh, radio today and newspapers and TV is you don't hear the stories like you used to. I mean, Ellie and I have interviewed 160 Hall of Famers, and I enjoy hearing the stories, whereas now it's all about today's game, today's game, but no one talks about the past. Well, that's, that's true. That's true. Everything done in the past wasn't bad, was it? No, I mean, when you could sit down with Jim Brown and he talks to you for 30 minutes and you hear the stories, whereas people hear who Jim Brown is, but they don't really know about him. No, all I know is the, the son of a gun was uh, walked on the golf course first time I ever saw him, teed it up and shot 71. <laughs> and it took $10 of my money. <laughs> But in, how, how is your golf game these days? <laughs> but the, um, I was, you know, you, one of my favorite stories of all stories in this thing going along was uh, we were doing Pepper Rod the year. There was one year we had uh, coaches as commentators, and uh, when they were when they were not coaching. They had, they had an off week. We'd use them, and they agreed to do it. And some of them were fine. That's how that's that's how we found Frank Ball. And uh, and that was the first year of Jim Lampley and Don Tollison, sideline reporters. Anyway, we were down in in Alabama and working at Old Legion Field, and there's a great big open space up on the top floor. And they'd give us that entire great big old room when we go there for a broadcast. Telecast and Pepper was the commentator, and uh, Chuck Howard was our producer, and uh, Chuck was also the vice president of production. And I thought a hell of a producer, really good. But um, uh, he told Lampley uh, that Jim Mishner was there that day, and Jim had just had his uh, book Sports in America published. And it was quite a work that he he did. And uh, Lampley's, uh, Lampley's talking to him on the sideline during uh, the early part of the half. And uh, Lampley said, well, where's the, ask him, where's the coach, best coaching done? And, and uh, Mishner says, well, I just finished two weeks with the Steelers. And I'm of the opinion that uh, that the best coaching is done at the professional level. 
Well, Pepper's sitting there looking at the television set and, and listening to this. And uh, he, he, when Missioner left and uh, Pepper stepped down from the stool he was on and kicked the stool as far as he could, he kicked out a garbage can to the other side of the room. He looked like he was going to assault me and the cameraman both. I mean, he just became a black cloud. And I said to him, Pepper, we are not paying you all this money to come down here and kick the damn furniture around. Say something. <laughs> and I had uh, Chuck was uh, just in awe of of, uh, of what Missioner said and didn't say much of anything. And I told Andy Sedaris, who was our director, and Andy's now gone too. But uh, Andy gave me a, a belly button up shot of Pepper, nice tight shot of him. And uh, so we came out of the commercial, and there's Pepper all by himself on the screen. And he looked right in the camera, and he said, I always liked Erskine Caldwell better myself. I laughed for months about that. Did you have a, did you have a favorite, did you have a favorite broadcast partner? No, I loved them all. They were all good people. All worked hard. Everybody had a quality that uh, made hanging around with them worthwhile. And they were all bright. And you probably people who really, you know, work with their hands and, and what have you would not think this, but what we did in the television business was hard work. And what they do now is is hard work. It's it's not a it's not a lollipop trip. You bust your chops. Did you have and a these guys all jumped in there and they and they really worked hard. They, all of them did. And those who didn't didn't last long. Did you have a favorite uh, football coach to deal with? Oh, there were lots of them that I liked. Uh, of the more recent group, I'm particularly fond of Lloyd Carr. Love John McKay. I never will forget that line that uh, when the Trojans had played uh, Notre Dame and Notre Dame whacked them 51 to nothing in the case, as they were all walking up the tunnel at the Coliseum and going to the locker room, McKay's parting uh, comment to his troops on that particular day was, uh, um, go in the locker room now and, and take your shower, boys, if you think you need it. And just get on going. He was he was wonderful. He was a real wit. And David Nelson, who used to was over there at Delaware and invented the wing tea and all that kind of stuff, and became the dean of students and was the rules guru. He had a great wit, a, a very quiet, subtle sense of humor. That we were down in Jackson, Mississippi, at the old Heidelberg uh, Hotel, and and uh, we were doing, I think, LSU and Ole Miss football game, and and then Mississippi State was playing Alabama, something like that. But I got there kind of late, at like ten o'clock at night. Went to bed, and I heard the scratching sound, scratching sound, scratching sound. So finally, I got up and, and went to see what it was. And it was a cockroach in the bathtub. So I closed the door and I went back to bed and slept a few hours. And and we would go do the ball game. 
I'd go all toward to check out of the hotel on the way to do the game, and David had a glass in his hand, and I something over the top of it. And I didn't pay attention to it, and uh, he was right in front of me when we were checking out, and he takes the glass and uh, pops it down on the on the uh, counter in front of the uh, hotel clerk. And he says, oh, by the way, I brought your mascot back. And he took, picked up the glass, and it was a cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> I never forgot it. That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spade and Elliot Harris. I would like to thank our guest, the legendary broadcaster Keith Jackson, as well as our legendary executive producer Dave Olson. Thanks, everybody out there in cyberspace, and tune in again next week for Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.